Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Seth Joyner Show. Just to give you a little bit of an intro there, if you guys have ever missed the Seth Joyner Show, you not know what you are missing because Seth Joyner not only brings the heat, brings the energy, he will also tell you exactly the way it is. And if you don't like it, well, he doesn't say it in a manner where it makes you not understand it. He breaks down all the X's and O's. He breaks down the footage. He breaks down drafts. He breaks everything down. So to make it more understandable, more clear, and concisely to the point. So if you've ever missed an episode, the man himself is back with us tonight for a second time. But make sure you check out his content, The Seth Joyner Show on YouTube. And if you have not liked and subscribed, just like I have since the beginning, and then if you don't catch the live show on Tuesday, do just like I do and replay it on Wednesday because when I'm at work, I got my phone pretty much on the side, headphones in, and I'm listening to what Seth Joyner has to say. So I appreciate the man because it's always something different with Seth. You'll never hear the same thing twice. Even if a game comes out to be the same exact way two times, you won't hear it twice the same exact way. Why? Because Seth always finds a way to make it interesting, to capture the audience and capture your attention from beginning to end. And if the man can make a Rolex commercial, guess what? He will make you take that Rolex and you will buy probably quantities and quantities of it because he's that good. But Seth Joyner is with us tonight. We do appreciate him, appreciate him taking the time to be on with us as we have some Eagles news to talk about. Debo Samuel apparently wants out of San Fran. There's a whole mixture bag of things that are going on and not a better person to speak with than with Seth Joyner himself. So thank you, everyone, who tunes in tonight. It is episode 131. The entire gang is in the house, minus Dylan, who's at the Toronto Blue Jays game, because, of course, that is his other job. So he did call in to say hello to, uh, at least to the show, before the show started. But nevertheless, it is 85 degrees down here in Tampa. Beautiful weather, and I'm not too sure if Seth's back home or not. I know in Arizona, it's getting just as warm as it is here in Tampa, Florida. So... With that being said, there's a lot to get into in a short amount of time, but this is episode 81, excuse me, 131, not 81. I'm Angel, and welcome to Ross Freestyle. And as we do, by the way, it is, and I always forget, not all the time, but it is Friday Eve, Thursday night, for those who like to keep track of the days a week. And with that being said, I can't do the show without the Godfather, who's making himself pretty known on Twitter. So here he is, Mike Fuji. Fuji, what's happening tonight? Seth Joyner in the house, a week away from the draft. Sixers up 3 nothing. Let's put Toronto to bed. Come Saturday and sweep them, Angel. How are you? Let's get this party rocking with Mr. Seth Joyner, Pro Bowl extraordinaire, Super Bowl champion number 59 linebacker for your Philadelphia Eagles. That's right. How That's are right. you? I'm doing good now, a lot better now. Apparently, you brought the super hype, so I'm good. Might as well just start off with one of these while we're at it. And we'll just do it because a national correspondent, he hasn't heard those Super Bowl championship words in quite some time here. Although, for those who don't know, our national correspondent uh, used to be the Dallas Cowboys fan, 
until they start losing Super Bowls. Then he switched to the New England Patriots when they started winning rings and then switched over to Kansas City when they started winning rings. But here he is, the ring chaser himself, Mr. Ryan Neff. <laughs> Ryan, oh, what's ring going chaser. on? Chaser. Chaser. Fuji, Fuji, get a little bit more excited, man. Get a little always, bit more excited. Always. One week away. Seven days from right about now, the first draft pick will be taken by your Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> right at exactly. this time, right at this very out, right at this very second. That's it. And yep. also welcoming to the show tonight, who's become a great friend of the show and a fan of the show, it is Sean Kilrain. Sean, how are you this evening? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem whatsoever. And I would bring up, as I always do with everyone that we have here, but more importantly for Seth Joyner, if you guys, again, do not follow the man, the myth, and our own home legend, at Seth Joyner. Follow him on Twitter, on all social media. Don't forget to, again, like and subscribe to the Seth Joyner Show. And with that being said, we will bring on the man of the hour, Seth Joyner, listen, first of all, thank you so much for what you continue to do with your great content. As I've been talking about it over and over again, and I try to share it as many times as I can possibly remember in his old brain of mine, but not only that, for always bringing the heat to all the Philly fans, and we do appreciate you taking the time and coming back for a second time with us. We do appreciate it. Hey, listen, man, my pleasure. And um, I appreciate the plug, man. You guys are giving me the promos. The promos are the bomb, man. So, you know, thanks thanks for doing that. It's always good to be on with you guys talking some football. Um, you know, to Mike's point, it's getting pretty exciting. You know, next week this time, we'll be gearing up for the first round of the NFL draft. Our Philadelphia Eagles slotted at 15 and 18. Uh, curious to see whether we stay there. More curious to see who we get to help improve this football team moving forward. And, well, listen. Well, I'm going to, before I get into the football stuff, I don't know, have you heard this lineup on what the NFL is doing for the entertainment package, what they put together? I haven't. I know they're doing some weird stuff. Um, yeah. Multiple um, schedule release dates. You know, listen, the, the, the NFL are masters at marketing. Trust me, they know when you only have 17 regular season games a year, you can afford to do stuff like that when you when you don't have 82, 82, and 162. <laughs> uh, but they're a marketing machine. They know what they're doing, and they, they know how to get the biggest bang for their buck. Yeah, it's true, but I, I want to say, Seth, that we, we saw what Howie did with the New Orleans Saints as far as to make those picks and, and the trades, I guess the swap for picks. Genius move by Howie Roseman. But now he's two weeks away to see how good he's going to do in this draft. I know every season as fans, uh, as critics, as part of media, we like to come down on Howie. If it, and we the last last year you had to give him a passing grade because he didn't do too bad of, of a job as far as during a draft. But this year seems to be the most important because as everyone keeps talking about, either you got half of the people on board with Jalen Hurts or half the people not believing in Jalen Hurts. So how significant is it for Harry Roseman this year more than the, the time he spent with the Eagles to get this one right, to load up the weapons that Jalen Hurts needs? I don't know that this, this year is, all, is going to be all about, you know, weapons for Jalen Hurts. I mean, you got to consider in the last 14 years, I believe the Eagles have drafted 15 wide receivers and quite a few of those in the first round, second round, you know, windows. Um, that's a lot of draft capital at one position. That tells you how poorly they draft, drafted and the mistakes that they've made, 
you know, in those positions that you've had to use that kind of draft capital. I'm hearing, oh, you know, wide receiver at either 15 or, or 18. Um, I don't know. I, I, I When I look at this this trade with New Orleans, I, I get the sense that, you know, you, you, you move out of one spot, um, you keep two and you have three, you acquire another next year. So you got two in the first round next year and you got two in the second round next year including your own. Um, I think that he has supremely set the Eagles up for the scenario that, hey, if by chance Jalen Hurts falls flat on his face this year, you now have the draft capital either to A, go get a veteran somewhere, or B, you know, move up in the top 10 and get you, get your guy the future. I, I, I believe that that's what that move was truly all about. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, as far as Jalen Hurts is concerned, um, I talked about it on my show the other day in a couple of interviews I've been doing here, here and there. I don't really, you know, I, I don't get Philly fans. Um, I just don't understand, you know, Jalen Hurts really has been a starter for, you know, 17 games. Um, you really can't count those three and a half games that he started Carson Wentz's last year because he took over a variable crap show, if you will. Um, they threw him in. He didn't know the offense, didn't get a whole lot of reps and they just threw him in and threw a a makeshift. So you got to kind of throw that away. Okay. I've done the research. The kid is on his, what, sixth offense in the last six years of his football career. And he's learning how to be an NFL quarterback. Now this is the problem with how, what, how and where you draft quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay. Most people think that quarterbacks have to be drafted in the top 10 in order to be a franchise quarterback. Listen, I, I beg to differ. I think guys are mis-evaluated all the time. If that was the case, then Seth Joyner would have never made it in the NFL as an eighth-round draft pick because there were more teams that believed that I couldn't play than that believed that I could play, okay? And because of where I was drafted and how I look at it, I, I will never pass judgment on someone until they prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that they can't do something, okay? Jalen Hurst showed us some good things last year. He perplexed us in other areas as well, okay? So it's a mixed bag. But when it's your first year being a full-time starter and you're trying to learn a new offense with a bunch of new players and the whole deal, and you're trying to get better on your own, you're trying to, you're trying to master and hone your craft. It's a learning experience. And I always say that players need a three-year window, barring injury. By the time a player gets to his third year, you know what he is. I don't care if he's a first-round number one overall or whether you pick him in the fifth or sixth round. You know, by year three, if he's played, then he's he's probably going to be what he is, barring injury. Um, So my thing is, you know, we got all this conversation. All oh, let's go get Russell, Russell Wilson. All oh, let's go get Deshaun Deshaun Watson. For what? You know, right? I, I think that the reason why Russell Wilson didn't want to come to Philadelphia because he looked at that roster and said that team's not ready to win. I got one wide receiver and one tight end. That's it. Those are the only two guys that are proven: Devontae Smith and and uh, and Dallas Goddard. Okay. We don't have anything else. Yeah, you can run the football, um, but I don't have any weapons to push the ball down the field. And your, your defense is average. 
you know, I mean, no matter what what they look like at the end of the year because they played the Sisters of the Poor, when you look at the playoff teams that they played against, you know, they got dismantled. You know, when you give up 93 points to the Dallas Cowboys in two games, that's a problem. So there are things that need to be fixed. And what I will say is that you could have went and got Russell Wilson. You could have went and got Deshaun Watson. But what do you have around those guys to help them get better? So I'm in favor of giving Jalen Hurts another year, using your draft capital to, A, you know, improve the the talent level on the team, specifically on the defensive side of the football. You need a safety. You need a linebacker. You need a, a, a corner. Um, you can always use another edge rusher. Um, even though you went and you signed Hassan Reddick, you know, at – at six foot one, you know, 235 to 250 pounds. I don't think you can play him at defensive end every single down. So you're going to have to, you know, he's going to be a, have to be a hybrid in some situations. Um, but I just think that the smart thing to do is to continue to build a roster, get the roster in position to succeed. And if Jalen Hurts turns out not to be the beat to be the guy, then you got enough draft capital over the next two years to go out and get the guy that you need. And build and 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 build from there, uh, even if that means you got to go get a veteran guy. So as far as as far as coming right out of the gate, you know, seven days away at this very time, the draft's kicking off. Eagles are on are on the clock. Who are they taking? In your opinion? Wow. Um, it depends because you know, Angel made the point that how he drafted better last year. How he maneuvered in the first round and what he did was he took the guy that was in the best position. He took the best available player. Devontae Smith was the best available player at number 10. Okay. I don't think you're going to see how we go off the ranch anymore. Picking guys like J.J. Ortega Whiteside and, and Jalen Rager when, you know, you got D.K. Metcalf and Justin Jefferson sitting right there to be had. I think he's going to take the, the player that's most highly rated right there. Um and that could be, believe it or not, because I don't, I don't, I don't get a gauge of you know really what they want to do. Um, I think they need off. I need to think they need defensive help. You know, if I am, if I'm in that position, if I'm the GM, um, I'm thinking that one of those, one of these edge rushers slash defensive ends, I'm going to fall to him at 15. Um, you know, Thibodeau is a guy who, you know. Whose, whose draft stock has begun to fall, and you begin to see all these other guys that that are leapfrogging him. But when you look at this kid, if you if, if he's got the right type of coach, he's a different kind of animal, man. I mean, his ability to run, his ability to drop in the covers, his ability to rush the passer, his explosiveness. Um, they need to be thinking about improvement at the defensive end position. You know, we don't our defensive ends. You know, we 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 we, don't, we haven't had a defensive end to give us, you know, ten sacks, double digit sacks, and I don't know how long. Okay, long time. So, you, we need to go and get one of those guys if that guy is there. Then I'm going to come back, and the question is, okay, at 18, you know, what what kind of value pick can I get there at the cornerback position, one A, and the linebacker one B, and we all know full well that one B probably ain't going to happen. Seventy nine. It's, it's probably just not going to happen. I mean, as much as I love these two linebackers, um, Dean and Lloyd, um, I just don't see the Eagles. They haven't done it. They haven't drafted a guy. 
that high since they drafted Michael Kendricks, I believe, in the second or the third round. Um, So I just don't see him doing that. I can see him going to get a cornerback. Um, but that all depends on which guy's there and where he's valued um, as far as the position. Do you think What's Andrew your... Booth would be there, Seth? From Who's Clemson? That? Andrew Booth from Clemson? Listen, he could be. I mean, th- there's a lot to consider. I mean, when, when you think about, you know, I, I'm sick and tired of these mock drafts. Mock draft, you know, 101.2. You know, I mean, we've been <laughs> – right. We've been listening to that crap since the season's been over. Um, but, the, but the truth of the matter is, you have to look at you have to look at the positions where there's the most depth. I think you've got a lot of a lot of depth at the offensive line position, particularly at tackles. I think you got a lot of depth at the wide receiver positions, um, and I think you got safety okay depth at the corner positions. Now, if you get a run on some of those positions, and then you turn around. And one or two teams, you know, before the Eagles need a quarterback and they decide to take one of these guys out of position because they just feel like they got to have them. I don't think there's a guy, you know, in this draft is worthy of being drafted, you know, um, in, from one to, to 15. But stranger things have happened. You know, when you have a need for a quarterback and you, you've done your homework on the guy, you know, sometimes these GMs will go ahead and pull the trigger. When they, when they don't necessarily need to be doing it. But when you look at all of these positions and how players start to come off the board and how one guy that's not necessarily rated as high as everybody else thinks he should be rated, you know, jumps, leaps, leapfrogs guys at different positions, that pushes, you know, guys that are highly valued down to, you know, pushes the, those players get pushed to you, you know. So you got you got to get excited about it. I mean, we saw that with C.D. Lamb and you know the Dallas Cowboys. We saw it with Dallas Goddard, you know, and the Eagles leapfrogged the Cowboys and went and got him. Um, you're certainly going to see that in this year's draft. Somebody's going to do something um, uncharacteristic, going against you know what the numbers say they should do, and somebody good is going to fall to somebody. Let's let's just hope that you know it's one of those guys could be um, it could be Booth, it could be um, Stingley. You know, with the with the with the injuries, um, you know. Still, I, listen, I still love the kid. You know, um, football is a crazy game. You play it long enough, you're gonna get injured. I don't believe the guys are, are injury prone, but the kid, you know, is just flat out a great football player with great technical skills. So when when players like that begin to fall to you, um, I think that you got to really consider taking them. But you know, I'm not the guy making the making the pick. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the Eagles actually do um, with those first two picks or whether they decide to trade them and move up to a guy that they got highly valued, you know, that they want to get, you know, under under um, 15. Seth, do you see the Eagles possibly going after Jordan Davis? Or you think he'll be there? I, I think he'll be gone, you know. And, you know, listen, I, I think he's a great player. Um, my concern with him is can you get him down to a weight where he can become a force in the in the pass rush game? You know, it's one thing to be a college player and be, I don't know, what is it, 340-plus pounds, you know, mm-hmm. even at 4'7". Can you imagine how fast that guy would be if he just, you know, if he just got trimmed down to about 330, 335? You know, his, his strength isn't going anywhere, you know, but get down where, you know, you're not just a two-down player. Because right now – 
whoever drafts that kid, if he plays it that way, he's only good good for first and second down. On third down, you can't leave him on the field. You can't do it. So that's my only concern about him. Um, but I think he's so highly coveted, you know, running a four seven three, um, that by the time the Eagles pick, if they stay at fifteen, I think he's gone. Seth, just to pick your brain here, and I have to do it, and I hate to bring it back to Jalen Hurts, but ever since the end of the season, it was Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Then it was Deshaun Watson. Then it was Kyler Murray. Then they made the deal with the Saints to stockpile draft picks to possibly maybe move up next year to, ta- mm-hmm. to take a future quarterback. Where does that leave the mindset of Jalen Hurts? Do you think he's built for it? I don't think it phases him. I think he's built different than Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz, you know, went into, you know, the year after Doug got fired and when Nick Sirianni was hired and said that, you know, all positions would be competing for their starting jobs. Carson was like, to hell with that. If I'm not the franchise guy, then I'm out of here. I want to be somewhere where I'm given the job. Well, what's wrong with competition? You know, Jalen Hurst didn't say anything. All the chatter that's going on, he's just going about his business. And he's a kid that wants to get better. You know, I don't know how true the rumors are. He's, you know, um, tagging along with Tom Brady everywhere he's going. He's out working with a quarterback Google. Listen, I, I encourage players to go and do that, you know, because the way the offseason is set up, you know, the only thing you can come in and do until OTAs actually start is, you know, get get with the, the, the training staff. You know, you, you don't have the flexibility to get with your linebacker coach or your quarterback's coach or your DB coach if that's really what you want to do. It's really the stupidest thing in the world because – that's what the young players need more than anything. You know, the most crucial developmental time for me was the offseason of my rookie year. You know, I can remember going in and sitting down, having my exit meeting with Buddy, and he asked me, you know, hey, what's your, you know, what's your plans for the offseason? You know, now I know it was a setup question. Um, what's your plans for the offseason? I was like, well, you know, I think I'm going to go back down to UTEP and roll in school, you know, work towards my degree. He looked at me and said, well, you're either going to be a football player or a student. The off-season program begins February 28th, and he pointed to the door, okay? Now, when I came back, I worked with Wade Phillips every day, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, for about six hours, okay? We lifted, we watched film, we did f- field work, we worked on technique, we did trail, trail, um, man-to-man trail technique. I mean, we did a plethora of stuff, and that was critical to my growth as a, you know, as a young player, you know, and, and I get it. I understand why the players didn't want to be put in that position because some coaching staffs go too far. You know, they push the players too much after the season. So, you know, now the rule is you got X amount of days that you can work with them. The other time, you know, the coaches can't be seen with the players. The players can come in and lift, but you know, any, any film work that they do, they got to do it on their own. You know, they can have a conversation on the phone with a coach, but they the coach can't put his hands on the players and actually work with them in the offseason. And to me, that's just silly. So when I look at these young guys now, what they have to do is they have to go outside the organization and find quarterback gurus and find special specialists that specialize in their position to help them fundamentally get better because they don't get the time with their coaches. Um, so when I look at Jalen Hurts, you know, I, I see a guy that's just going about his business, um, Ryan, doing what he's got to do to get better. And um, I think he's always had the mentality. I mean, when I look back, I mean, 
all you got to do is look back at what happened with him and Tua. Okay. Mm -hmm. Today's player would have entered the portal the minute that, you know, the national championship game was over because they knew, you know, he, listen, he knew when he went to training camp that Tua was a better passer and that he had no chance of winning that job. But what did he do? He stayed right there. Okay. He stayed right there and he wound up being the reason why they won the SEC championship the following year because Tua got hurt. And he goes in and wins the SEC championship, which gets them back into the final four again the next year. It wasn't until they won the national championship again. I believe they won back to back. I could be wrong, but it wasn't until, you know, going into, you know, his senior year that he made the decision. Okay. It's time for me to go because this kid's going to be the starter. Okay. And if I got any aspirations of making it in the NFL, I can jump into the portal and go somewhere, you know, where I can develop and have an opportunity to play at the next level, okay? You got to admire that about the kid. He stuck it out. He stayed there. And when the opportunity presented itself for him to move on, he moved on and improved himself exponentially in Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. Um, so I, I, I see a kid that, you know, that's just locked in on what he's got to do. And he's not moved. He's not phased with, uh, with all the other nonsense that he's hearing about, you know, other players. Listen, it, it always happens. You know, every 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 year I turned around, he was trying to draft, you know, my replacement. And, and I was like, bring him on. As a matter of fact, you know, I'll work with him. I'm going to show him how to be, you know, a great linebacker. You want to know why? Because he ain't getting my damn job. He's going to sit over there unless the other guy. You know, I mean, if that's not your mentality, that's the right. thing that bothers me about some of these guys when they're like, oh, it's not my job to, you know, coach these young guys up. Yes, it is. It's your job to pay it forward just like someone paid it forward for you, to you. Well, just Seth, quick, sorry, I was just going to follow up real quick, Seth, with um, do you think has this organization done enough to give him the confidence to be the starter? Or do you think there was a little bit of mind games going in there in the last couple months? <laughs> well, they've said all the right things. But then again, there's always rumors. We don't know where the rumors come from. Did, did Seattle call the Eagles about Russell Wilson? Did the Texans call the Eagles about Russell Wilson? Or did the Eagles make those calls? Okay. Well, the Eagles inquiring about those two quarterbacks, the potential, you know, making that trade. Okay. Nobody knows that. Um, most people would say, oh, the Eagles, you know, were probably looking to see what happened. Um, but, you know, Nick Sirianni and Harry Roseman had both have come out, you know, and said that, you know, Jalen Hurts is our guy. Um you know, there's no ifs, ands, buts about or buts about it. Um, you see in Gardner Minshew, you know, going last year and try to figure out how he could be the starting guy. And Nick Sirianni pretty much told him no, no chance. I think they're committed to him, you know, at least through next year. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just they can say what they want to say and they can change whenever they want to say. They, they've got the power to do whatever it is that they want to do. He can't worry about that. The only thing that he – can worry about is him getting better and him coming in and trying to put the best product out on the field that he can put out there so that he can remove all doubt from everyone in the organization, I should say, that he's the long-term, he's a long-term answer. Um, if you get caught up in what everybody else is saying, then you're going to lose focus on what you should be doing and paying attention to the noise. And you just can't do that. That's not conducive to, you know, where he's headed and what he wants to do. Seth, you played on, an amazing defense, you know, 1991. Um, 
wanted to touch on a couple things. What was it like playing for Buddy Ryan? What was his training camps like? And also my second question is, when Buddy Ryan drafted Ben Smith, was he supposed to replace Wes Hopkins, if I recall? Mm. I believe that what Buddy you know, put well, I'll answer. I'll answer your first one. For your last, your last question first. Um, yes, he was supposed to replace Wes. Um, for some reason, or another buddy just never really cared for Wes. Wes was a hitter, um, but because of the knee surgery that Wes had, you know, um, before Buddy got there, um, in coverage situations, sometimes you know Wes could be a liability, and that just irked the hell out of Buddy. So Ben Smith was actually drafted to play free safety. Um, and Ben was a, a slight bill guy. I mean, he was just, he was yoked, but you know, I don't think Ben was 200 pounds and Ben would just knock you out, man. I mean, he, he would, he was just laying people out all over the field, but in the process of laying people out, he was laying his own self out. I mean, he kept hurting himself. I mean, he's throwing the shoulder out all kinds. So then buddy was like, you know, I think they realized, Ben had tremendous speed um, and he could cover. And Ben would just get up on guys at the line of scrimmage and just maul them. And we had we had a bigger issue at cornerback than we had at free safety. Okay. So they made the decision to move Ben to corner. And my goodness, when we, when he moved him to corner, it just took our defense to a whole nother level. Cause now we had two shutdown corners on both sides. We could do whatever the hell we wanted to do. And no one could do anything about it because, you know, those guys, Eric Allen and Ben Smith, when Ben was healthy, they were just the truth. Um, for your first question, you know, what was training camp like for Buddy? Pure hell, man. It was pure <laughs> hell all the time. You know, it wasn't like, you know, training camp today um, where you only have one period where you hit. I can remember uh, when the Ravens came in town um, and had dual practices with the Eagles. I think it was two years ago. And then they played – you know, preseason game, I went over, to, you know, to watch it. I almost puked on my shoes. I'm like, these guys don't do anything anymore. You know, they don't hit. They, the only time that they had contact, the day that I was there, was when the offensive line, defensive line were going to, going against each other and, you know, and, and run run drills and pass rush. And even at that, it was like, pop, 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 they blow the whistle and end, and end the drill. But there was no hitting going on. Um, man, with Buddy, geez. You know, our nine on seven, our nine on seven um, um, defensive drill was live. Okay, for people who don't know what nine on seven is, that's just the interior and interior line linebackers and um, and and the tight end on the offensive side of the ball. And all you're doing is running the ball. The offense knows that they're running. The defense knows that they're running it. We're gonna block it up. Let's see how you let's see how you handle it. And for the most part, you know, you got ten to ten ten to fifteen plays. On the defensive side of the ball, anytime that the offense ran a play and the running back broke the line of scrimmage, he would make us run it again because it was live, to the ground live. So if the running back hit it up inside and nobody tackled him or he broke a tackle, oh, run it again and keep running it until they put the running back on the ground. So it was different, man. It was different. And, yeah, we came out of training camp. We were a little beat up and, you know, behind the eight ball as far as, you know, being healthy. But what it did is it galvanized us. It galvanized our body. You didn't have a whole lot whole lot of injuries and whatnot. 
because, you know, all the bumps and bruises and aches and pains, you got those in training camp, not week one of the season. That's the problem I see, you know, with the NFL now is that these guys don't work hard enough, you know, during during the, the preseason so that they galvanize their body and collis and harden their body, you know, for the requirements of playing 17 games. So you get all of these little soft tissue injuries and hangnails and guys like, I can't go this week. You know, my thumb is aching. Come on, man. You know, put a little, you know, put a little DMS on and get you behind back out there, man. Yeah, so, I, I'll, I'll have one more question. You know, Jim Johnson, God mercy on him, was a great defensive coordinator under Andy Reid. But I don't think Bud Carson, you know, I know it's a younger generation now, but I don't think, you know, a lot of people really didn't know Bud Carson, you know, back mm. in the early 90s. What was your take compared with Bud Carson, playing with Bud Carson and <laughs> playing under Bud well, listen, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, you know, Bud Carson was brought in after Buddy was fired by Rich Kotite. Um, they fired Buddy, hired Rich Kotite, who Kotite was the offensive coordinator that last, Buddy's last year. And then when they fired Buddy, they hired Kotite. Kotite brings in Bud Carson. Um, and I can remember um, one of our first practices um, during the, um, the offseason, it was a mini camp so we had installation that morning then we had a walkthrough and then we were you know we were supposed to have practice well but you know did the install we went out for walkthrough and you know we were still we were still butthurt about them you know firing buddy you know we were, we were you know the defensive guys are really pissed um so but sig signals in a defense and byron calls 46 all out and we line up in a 46 and bud like loses it. i mean he loses it um and he just goes off he's like you know this is some bullshit i didn't come here for this and jerome turns to him well we didn't ask you to come here in the first place he gets in his car he gets in his car and leaves you know jfk stadium that's where we're like practicing that right. he leaves the stadium and which is out there you know wow. and then you know over time you know, things begin to change. And I did some research. I'm like, man, this is the dude that was the defense coordinator for the steel curtain. You know, once we realized, you know, how qualified he was, that changed everything. And a lot of a lot of Bud's mentality was similar to Buddy. He believed in aggressive defense. He right. just wasn't as overly aggressive as Bud as Buddy was. Mm. Wasn't well, there going back to training camp in ninety one? Got a mercy on JB. I heard he went at the rich coat tight, like in the very oh, yeah. beginning. Oh yeah. Listen, it was it was very contentious because what people didn't realize, we had an opportunity to spend one year around Richie before he became the head coach. So we saw all the BS and all the false bravado and all of that nonsense before he became the head coach. You know, and he never would be like an authority figure. I mean, he tell. He told, you know, Reggie, hey, Reggie, can you tell Seth and, and Clyde this? And I'm like, you the head coach, man. You come tell him. You know, he would, right. you know, he would find me for something. And, you know, my linebacker coach, Jim Vicarella, you know, guy, you know, just, you know, I, 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 it, it was just a tough situation because, you know, I didn't get along with him either, you know. Right. So he would find me, and instead of him coming to give me the pink slip, he would put it in my locker. 
And I would just take it and rip it up and throw it in the trash. And I'd go to the linebacker meeting and he'd be like, hey, did you get that fine stuff? I'll say, yeah. You tell Rich if he wants to find me, he know where to, where to find me. You know, I mean, it was right. just, it, it was, it was, un, it was an unhealthy environment because defensively our allegiances were with Buddy. Okay. And when we could, we kind of saw the handwriting on the wall, but there was nothing that can be, that, that really could be done. Rich, Rich, Richie Kotite was brought in, you know, to be the heir apparent because if we didn't win, a playoff game that year we had gone to three straight playoff games playoffs in a row and lost in the first round all three rounds all three times and that was the, that was going to be the third time if we didn't win at least one playoff game then everybody knew that richie kotai was going to be the, the head coach and buddy was going to get fired you know and right. we didn't lose because you know we couldn't get it on the defensive side of the ball we lost because we couldn't produce any damn offense you know right and when the move was made um there was a lot of anger, man. There was a lot of guys right. on the defensive side of the ball that was pissed off because if you go back and you do the look, you go back and look at the numbers. Um, and during that three-year span leading up to Buddy being fired, the only other team that won more games in the NFL um, than us was the San Francisco 49ers, and they were winning Super Bowl, you know. Right. And we had one of the top, top, top defenses in the league, you know. And Buddy's. But his agenda was, you know, to build an offensive line for Randall. So now that he had the defense set, let's, you know, let's build the offense, you know, and for all, all right. intents and purposes, you know, Brayman just pulled the rug out from him. And, and how do I know that is because the day before he got fired, I was sitting in his office, you know, I went in to, to see him and he was watching film and he told me, he said, you know, everybody's making a big deal about these two offensive tackles. And, and you know, I got to build this offensive line for Randall get the running game going, so on and so forth. He goes, you know, these two kids from Tennessee, Anton Davis and the, and the McCray kid, he said, ain't neither one of them worth a bleep, you know? <laughs> he said, but this but this kid out of, I think it was East Tennessee or Tennessee State, he was like, this kid right here is going to be a perennial all-pro. And he said, we're in position to get him. This is the kid I'm going to draft. Well, the Eagles traded away two, two first-round draft picks to – to go up and get Anton Davis. Anton Davis, right. And Eric Williams got drafted by the damn Cowboys. That was who Buddy was going to draft. Wow. Philly guy, too. Yeah. Now, Seth, I, I will say this much. As, as you become a, a good friend of the show here, there's, there's two things that come around, and it's rare full circle in life. One is that you get to talk to not only yourself, former Eagle Super Bowl champion, which, again, we're honored here on the show to have you on, but for my own mother to chime in for the very wow. first time, and uh, it it got me there a little bit when when Fuji was talking. But she's in Puerto Rico right now with the family, uh, visiting with family and friends. So, mommy, thank you so much for for watching tonight. It it just it made this this it just made the show for me, it made my year. So I, I appreciate my mom for tuning in because I know my aunt in Puerto Rico. She watches the show every single week, so I'm I'm happy that she did. But I, I didn't ask you this the last time you were on. And because we got so busy into uh, so many different topics and everything else, that feeling when you're crowned a Super Bowl champion, what's the initial feeling like? And then how long does it take to process in like championship? I've been working for this all my life and since Pee Wee League, through high school, through college, and now I finally got there. What is that initial feeling? And then what's the feeling overall when it finally sinks in? Um, you talking about for me personally? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I don't think so. Year 12 and year 13, year 12, I played in the Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers against the Denver Broncos, and we lost that game. I mean, I was devastated because, you know, when you get that you get that far in your career and, you know, that's your number one goal and it takes that long to get there and then you lose that game, you know, we were 14-point favorites in that game um, and wound up losing it. Um, it was devastating. Um, I, I, I went home the whole first month I was at home. I didn't even leave my house. It, I was so devastated. Um, but then when you come back the following year and in training camp, the week before the first regular season game, I get traded from Green Bay to Denver and then Denver repeats and then I win. You're on the field and there's a, a, a bunch of emotions that goes through you. Um, a, I can say that, you know, every goal that I had on my sheet as a professional athlete is now complete because I have a Super Bowl ring and no one can ever take that away. Um, the, the euphoria of the moment, you know, it, you, you kind of ebb and flow out of it because, you know, you're almost in a surreal type of way um, viewing your whole career in that moment. And then I begin to think about, you know, my teammates, my my, my dogs, you know, my guys that I grew up in the game with, you know, Jerome ain't here no more. And, you know, and Clyde and Reggie and Mike and Mike and Byron and Willie T and Eric Allen and Andre and Wes Hopkins and Izell Jenkins and um, William Frizzell and ben, and ben Smith. I mean, all of these guys that we all coveted more than anything to be champions. You know, and I got an opportunity to do it, and my boys did. Um, so all of these things, all of these, this this dearth of emotions just kind of run through you. Um, and it's kind of surreal, like I said, but I don't think it really hits home until, you know, you go to the ring ceremony and they put the box in front of you and tell you don't open it yet. And they go through all these machinations and this guy's talking, the owner's talking, the coach is talking, head coach is talking. Everybody's just jabbing. I'm like, shut up already. <laughs> and then finally, they, they go, okay, open your ring. And when you open it and you see all those diamonds and you pick it up and you see your name on the side of it, that's when it really sets in. When you put it on and you walk around with it on for like two or three days in a row, realizing that, you know what, mission accomplished. Right. I mean, it, it, I mean, I've shown the, I've shown the, they put an Eagles montage um, video together, and I played it before on the show, and it, and it, as an Eagles fan, and you know it because you know how the city is diehard. I mean, it, if I had to rank it, it had me Eagles, Phillies, Sixers, Flyers, and now the Sixers have even taken over the Philly spot just because of, of what's happened within the recent years, but. When you play it, it just reminds you how long it had taken just to get there for us as fans to enjoy it. The players, you know, the ownership. I mean, it's so many people. So I can only imagine as a fan, and I, and I stayed up all week long. I, I didn't go to work. I call out every single day because I was waiting for the parade for it to actually happen. And I know it's supposed to happen on Tuesday, but because of the weather, they made it over on Thursday, which was cold. But you couldn't feel the cold because you're so happy. And excited and celebrating with the, the entire fans. I wish you could have done it in Philly, because I, I think it would just it would have added so much more to the city, and for the gangrene defense that what it was back then.
So it would have meant a lot more. But again, it, um, I'm grateful that you were able to get your ring before you retired. That's a great thing. And then coming back to report for the Eagles, I mean, we, we couldn't ask any more of you. But to kind of switch gears, there was a surprise last night that I don't think anyone saw coming. And that's Jay Wright decided he wanted to retire from Villanova. And then the rumors are that possibly the Lakers are looking for him and or obviously the Sixers if, and again, it's all speculation, but if let's just say they came into the Eastern Conference Finals, then Doc Rivers would go to L.A. And supposedly Jay Wright's been their, their, the guy they've been pursuing the most to come over. He's said all this time that he doesn't want to be in the NBA. He's not ready for the NBA, and he's always wanted to coach college. But the report was that supposedly he's going to their front office. What do you think end up happening with Jay Wright? Just at the age of 60, he's still young. So at the age of 60, he decided, you know what, I went to the Final Four, but I'm done. And listen, he's got championships under his belt. You know, it's a grind. Um, As much as a grind as, you know, an 82-game season is for NBA coaches, you know, college coaches, you know, you have, you know, the recruiting competition that you have to deal with every year. Um, you know, these kids jumping in and out of portals all over the place, you know, because they don't get playing time. Um, you know, it, it's got to wear on these guys. It's got to wear on you, you know, as a coach. You got to go and sit in this kid's, you know, living room. And, you know, you get done and you walk out and here comes Bill Self, you know, right behind you. You know, and, and you got all this competition going on. You know, maybe he just needs a break. And, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I think I, I tend to believe him that, hey, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested, you know, in the pro game. I mean, you think about it. Villanova has had to, had to have been, you know, really good to him from a from a financial standpoint. The, the kind of success that he's had. Yeah. I, I can't believe that it's really about the money. Um and you know, I don't know. I don't know him well enough to understand and know whether you know he has pro aspirations, pro coaching aspirations. Um, but you know, I'm the type of person I take a, a guy at his word until you know he shows me that he wants to do something different. And the guy's just you know probably just needs a break. You know, want to be able to you know spend the holidays in the fall with his family, be able to go on a vacation with his wife. You know, at any time that he wants to do it. Um, and you never know what other things he could possibly have going on, you know, in his life um, that prompted this. Yeah, no, I mean, it's agreeable. And I know that's why kind of Coach K decided that he wanted to leave from Duke for that same reason, because it, it is a grind. I mean, I can understand it. Um, even like for yourself, like when you're putting a broadcast together, the information, everything else you guys have to put, you know, it's not all handed to you. You guys still do the hard work to make sure that you know what you're talking about. It's different. Sure, you can hire someone to do it, but it's different when you do it yourself, that hard work. You know what you're putting into. So when you're getting ready to do the broadcast that night, you have all your facts, all your info, unless there's breaking news, and then that's you know that's told to you, but it's not fed to you. So I get it. You know, it, it's extremely difficult, but God bless him because at least we did see two championships from him before he ended up taking off. And that's always a great thing because it, it again, well-deserved. Now we'll see what happens with the next head coach coming in. Now, I did have, or I tried to get a surprise guest for you tonight. And I was trying to work with him as much as I possibly could, but I know his son is getting ready for his football season. So if you can remember this guy on the screen up there, by any chance, not obviously me. See it again? Who is that? It's too Andy far Kaluuya. away. 
Who was it? Andy Kalou. Oh, wow. Wow. So I tried, and we become really, really good friends. And so what I did was I messaged him earlier today and I said, hey, by the way, I know it's kind of last minute because I want to make sure that everything happened tonight. So I said, well, listen, Seth's coming back on the show for a second time. I would love to have you on to talk to him. He's, he's on Sports Talk 790 Houston from uh, 10 to 12 Central Standards time. But I was hoping to get him on because I figured it'd be a great surprise for you. And then it could be a little more throwback talk as far as from the era of football you guys end up playing. But Maybe he can squeeze in within the next 10 minutes of the show. I did send him out the information. So uh, he said he was good. I know he was doing the workout with his boys, but he 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 was just as happy to come on if he was able to do so. So in case he doesn't make it, that was going to be my my surprise to you tonight. Hey, it's all good, man. Family first. You got to take care of the kids, man. <laughs> man listen, but again, that, uh, one last thing that I want to get to, which I, I the story kind of has gone away, which is Kyler Murray out there in Arizona. Kyler decided at the end of the season that he felt, I guess, in a way they didn't do enough in Arizona to be able to pull off a playoff victory. Then it was told that, it, you know, he was crying, uh, that he was saying things that were, that were out of character, which I don't think he said anything, you know, overdramatic for people to, to be to come down on Colin Murray. But I get it. You know, he went to the playoffs. He tried to win. It didn't happen. They had the best season ever. And he was just trying to get, you know, past a point where people are saying that he's not the quarterback that they believe that he's he's supposed to be. Then he came out not too long ago, about a month or two ago, I guess, and said that, you know, not as much as an apology, but that he wants to win. Just like anybody else, he wants to win. Did Kyler not get enough around him to surround him to get to that playoff, you know, past that first round in a playoff? Or was it that the season, because we saw the last three weeks of the season, it wasn't working well for Arizona? Well, I'm not going to in any way put it all on Kyler. If you want to talk about, you know, what happened on the field, right? you know, his comments and his conduct, you know, this offseason, um, you know, we can talk about that on a whole nother level. But let's talk about, you know, the football. And if you want me to, I'll talk about that. I've got an opinion about that as well. What happened on the field is um, the Cardinals started off 9-0. and And then all of a sudden, you know, everything just went to hell in a handbasket. Then you lose Deontay. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, for the year, right. which is a huge, huge, huge loss. You know, the, the guy is arguably the best wide receiver, you know, in the game. And and quite clearly, you know, Kyler Murray's favorite target, you know, 10 to, 10 to 15 targets a game. Um, I think what happened as well is that Cliff Kingsbury, for the first time, was kind of in over his head a little bit because teams started to figure out what they were doing, you know, after week nine, after winning nine, going nine and oh, well, at some point you got to start scouting and say, okay, we've had success with, you know, with this package, this package, and this package. Okay, what can we change in each package to kind of throw people off? Because, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna get a bead on us. Um, and you didn't see the adjustment, and you saw teams begin to take advantage of, you know, Kyler and what Kyler was trying to do um, and taking away some of the things that he thought that he could have you know, because a good defense coordinator is going to be able to do that after they've seen it a few times. Um, then he got nicked up. He wasn't 100%, you know, as the season went on. Um, and they weren't as good on defense later on in the season as they were early in the year either. Um, so I'm not going to put it all on him. He did not play well. He didn't make good decisions. Um, he couldn't make plays happen. 
the way he he had through the first nine games of the season. Um, so he was part of the problem, but I'm not going to say he was the only problem. Right. Was it doesn't just all fall on him. Now, what makes it all of a sudden fall on him is his conduct in the offseason. Okay. Scrubbing his scrubbing his social media, then turning around, you know, having his agent put out, you know, this this public statement that pretty much said, well, you know, the team hasn't been worth a damn until I got here. And, you know, because I've been here the last three years, you know, we've gone to the playoffs for the first time in, in probably 10 years. And because of me, you know, um, I deserve to have a contract extension, you know, even though I've only played three years and, you know, I'm on the contract for one more year and have an option. Well, you put the Cardinals in a situation where they almost feel like they, they, they can't, you know, acquiesce to your demands. Because if they do it for you, what are they going to do when all the other guys on the team start demanding? You know, if you just shut your mouth and just realize that you are tied to Steve Kime and you are you are tied to Cliff Kingsbury. Okay, those two guys just got both of them just got a five year extension. Do you not think that they're not going to pay you? Okay, but if you're chirping out in public instead of just keeping it under wraps, you know, now you take a billion dollar organization and you put them in a position where they feel threatened and realize that, you know, from even from a public perspective, that they might not be able to acquiesce to your demands. And you could talk about, oh, well, I'm not coming to the offseason program um, and I might not play next year unless I get a new deal. Well, what the hell are you going to play? Okay, how much money are you supposed to make this year? You willing to piss that away just because you're trying to twist and a multi-billion dollar organization's arm to make them pay you when you want them to pay you instead of when they want to pay you, you know, are you willing to sit at home this year and realize that, Hey, you know what? Um, I'm not playing this year. I'm going to sit out. Well, guess what? When you come back next year, guess what? You're still going to be in year four and we're still going to have an option on, you You know, it's just silly. It's really silly. And, and, and does he deserve his money? Maybe, maybe not, you know, I'm not, I don't, it's not up to me to, to, to determine how much a guy is worth. The organization will determine that. Um, but you can't put these GMs and these owners in that type of position. And I don't think it was smart on, the, on, on behalf of his agent to allow him to make it public because all of these conversations could have happened behind the scene, you know, instead of making it public. Now, when you put it out in the public, now everybody's looking, okay. All right, Kyle has made his move on the chessboard. What you gonna do now, um, uh, Mike Bidwell? You know what, what's your move? What's your move, Steve Kine? What are you gonna do? And, and and everybody's asking. I just listened to an interview today with Steve Kine, and you know he's talked about how you know all the guys that got extended going into their fourth year didn't get extended, you know, until the summer or leading into you know the beginning of the season. You know, well. Couldn't you have had those conversations with Kyler, but you know, beforehand, you know, to to avoid and alleviate some of the stress that you're dealing with now, um, because it, it it affects the whole team. And then how how does all the other players on the team now view Kyler? He's already right. ha- he already has the reputation as being selfish, you know, a little bit aloof and a loner, which you can't be as a quarterback. Now you make these demands, and how does the rest of your teammates look at you? And you're supposed to be the unquestionable, undeniable leader of the team. Seth, just real quick here, because we got a limited amount of time, I guess. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring it back to the almighty NFL that it is. Um, 
Can you explain to me what – just because what happened in the Kansas City-Buffalo playoff game, they're tweaking the freaking overtime rules again. I'm old school. Just just play the damn overtime until you get a winner. You know what I mean? So I don't know what you think, but they're just there's too many rules that they're tinkering with now, and it's getting annoying. Well, I think we all could see this coming at some point. <laughs> When it happens, when it happens to, um, you know, teams like Buffalo and Kansas City, it's just I mean because that was such a hell of a game, you know, and everybody everybody's opinion was, man, we would love to see, you know, Josh Allen get his hands on the ball one more time to see how you know this thing really. And you know, listen, I'm I'm old school too, Brian, but I'm not necessarily opposed to saying that each team gets a possession and then you go to um sudden death rules after that i'm just i'm not a fan of them just doing it for the playoffs i right. think it should be that way throughout the season each team gets a possession okay you know you start it you don't even kick it off you get it at the 20 you get it at the 20 and you know you get a possession unless there's a turnover you get one possession and then whoever scores next whether it's a field goal or a touchdown or a safety you know the game is over yeah it does. It's all complete. Good. Seth just had two quick questions for you. Go. Uh, one, we had your friend Bill Warren Dell on about a month ago. Very nice gentleman down earth. I mean, he probably could have stayed on with us for three hours. <laughs> um, also, you're going to be in Philly next week for the draft. Yeah, Billy is. Um, I've known Billy a long time. I had Billy on my show. Um, right before the right right when, when the season ended. I mean, right? Yeah. You talk about a guy who knows his stuff, that has been around a long time. I mean, when I came into Philadelphia as a little snotty nosed twenty year old, um, Bill Warrendell was around, you know, doing interviews as a beat a beat writer, beat reporter. Um uh, just a great guy, love him. Um so, you know, that's great that you guys had him on. And, um, and yes, I am going to be in Philadelphia next week. I'm actually um, doing some stuff with Jacob Media uh, down in Atlantic City with me and Mike Quick and um, Derek Gunn, um, a bunch of guys. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do a um, a a draft show down at Ocean Casino. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. That's a, that's a good deal. I want to. I want to thank here the sponsors of our show for Philly Sports Trips. You guys are looking to make again an outing, a sports outing, especially with the draft now coming up for Las Vegas. Please visit phillysportstrips.com. Check out all the outings that they have coming up. Obviously, for the baseball season, uh, they already have one for the NBA as they travel down here to Orlando Clearwater. That would end up being a great trip for them. So, once again, thanks to phillysportstrips.com. Again, check out their Vegas draft vacation that's coming up here in just about two weeks. Also, for LGDirect.net, which is named after the studios here. So, thanks to Larry Gilman for LarryGilmanDirect.net. If you need payment solutions for your credit card terminals, please visit LGDirect.net. Also, for Tampa Joe's, if you guys are down in the Tampa area and are flying, please stop over at 9316 Anderson Road in Tampa, Florida. You guys, the lineup that they have as far as the food is absolutely excellent. Draft beers, cold on tap, of course. Then you have some brewery beer as far as the microbrews. 
Uh, I believe he just went on. Also, his newest location that we just opened up. So please visit TampaJewels.com. And again, a great place, serious food. And the Philly South Gang is always there from September until January, as now the football season is extended. Also, for Big Sarge at BigSargeSportsTalk.com, uh, the co-host with Andy Kalu at the In the Trenches, Monday through Friday from 10 to 12 Central Standard Time on Sports Talk 790 in Houston. And along with Superdraft Pros, you guys are looking for your sports betting from Caesar Sportsbook? Check out our strategic partners at Superdraft Pro, and you can find it right on our website at broadstsouth.com. Also, don't forget, for those who live here in the Tampa area, uh, we'll be broadcasting this Sunday's game for the Tampa Bay Titans, and that will be at 6 o'clock this evening, or sorry, 7, 6 o'clock Sunday evening against the Raleigh Firebirds. So come out there. They're on a current two-game win streak. They just came off All-Star Weekend. So come out. It's $15 at the door, or you can buy in advance at TampaBayTitans.com slash tickets and grab your ticket then. So uh, that's pretty much it for the show. It's episode 131 with Seth Joyner. Seth, thank you once again for coming back on. We really do appreciate having you back on here. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. For Ryan... Fuji, Sean, and my beautiful girlfriend over there at Studio B. Everyone have a great weekend. We will see you all next Tuesday night where we will have the ladies from Syracuse, journalists on the show that also call the TBL Pro League Games. So we'll see everyone here next Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend and have a great night.